Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. When we strive to become better than we are, everything around us becomes better too. And that's a quote by Paolo Coelho. So welcome again to The Profitable Photographer. Just a reminder, I am looking for some people who would like to be in my hot seat and get some direct coaching from me and uh, let the other listeners of the podcast um, get in on all the goodness that happens in a coaching session. And I would love, love, love if you would rate and review on iTunes. Um, it's a little tricky to find the review button, but um, that would mean a lot. And if you would maybe think about sharing with some friends, because, um, well, I like to say sharing is caring. <laughs> but I just have so many great guests. I just want everybody to hear them. And today's guest, I can't wait to hear what he has to share. And I know that you're going to find it amazing. So, um, Ted, is it Linksec? Linksec. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> he has so many awards that we'd run out of time if I listed them all. Um, he's a master craftsman photographer and he and his wife, Rachel own the Linsec photography and Nuvo images studios since 2006 and he opened in Northeast Ohio and then he has another studio in Charleston, South Carolina. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, that's pretty close. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he has taught locally, nationally, state, uh, Zoom, <laughs> has, <laughs> you know, has his own tribe that loves to learn from him for the last eight years. He loves teaching the fundamentals of photography, and we're also going to learn more about his Wonder of Santa program. Um, and if you go to his website, you'll see that his work is glamorous, has a high fashion feeling to it, along with a photojournalistic touch. So um, it's absolutely beautiful. I know you'll be inspired. Um, so Ted, Yes. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. Thank you. I got to say the de the description of being in the hot seat almost that that sounds like scary. <laughs> like, <laughs> ah, I like okay. that though. That's cool. The hot seat. Yeah. Okay. So it's not going to be hot. It's going to be just cool. Just the right temp. <laughs> nice and relaxing. Yeah. I nice like and that. relaxing and enlightening, <laughs> supportive. Yes, um, so I, you've won so many awards. Um, Photographer of the Year, both in South Carolina and Ohio for four different years. Um, the Grand Imaging Award at PPA for an album. Other Grand Imaging Awards. Is there one that you are the most proud of? Yeah, so it's kind of a funny story, you know, with image competition. I, I love talking about image competition because it's one of these things that I find divides a lot of people. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you, you, you know, a lot of people are like, yes, it's great. It'll do these amazing things. And then a lot of people are like, hey, you don't really need to do that. And, and you know, people that do that stuff, they're all about themselves. And I've, I've almost heard everything. And I feel like I've been on both ends, you know, because I feel like when I got into this incredible industry, you know, when I knew absolutely nothing I think for a few years, I kind of had the position where it was like image competition. Yeah, who needs that? As long as I have a client, as long as someone pays me, which obviously is true. I mean, of course, we need to make money. I mean, that's the whole point of what, what we're doing, you know, if we're doing yeah. this for a living. Um, but I came to a realization where I wanted my work to become better, right? I think when we all start, I always describe it as there's a point in every single photographer's journey, like early on, and this probably happens multiple times in your career, but initially you hit this fork in the road and it's really the realization. I know this isn't very like uh, poetic, but I, I call it the, the point when you realize you suck. <laughs> you suck as a photographer. Like it happens all the time, right? Like uh -huh. when I started, I thought I was amazing. I knew nothing. I, you know, I remember taking my wife, we went to 
of course, where do you go when you're, when you first get a camera, you go to the railroad tracks, right? That's what everybody does when you get a car, right? And I, I remember putting like a flower on the track and, and focusing on that. And then, and my wife, Rachel was out of focus. I remember I made the flower in color and everything was black and white. I mean, I remember thinking like, man, I'm amazing. I'm just incredible. Like, I feel, you know, and I laugh yeah. at it now, but like, that's a natural progression. But after a few years, you know, um, maybe a year and a half, two years, I became introduced to primarily PPA and some of the local photography groups. And I began to see these incredible photographers creating images that were just spectacular. And that's when I hit that realization where I didn't know why their work was great, but I looked at mine and I knew that mine looked nothing like theirs and I right. wanted to know how to get better. So I always say it's a fork in the road because you can make the decision of, hey, am I going to try to get better and emulate what I'm seeing and try to improve my skill? Or am I going to be complacent and say, eh, as long as I have clients, I'll figure it out down the road. Right. So I say all that because image competition for me was the one thing that, you know, some of the mentors that I knew early on, they said, hey, if you want to get better, start competing, you know, start entering images. So Long story short, yeah, definitely one of my favorite albums um, that I've created in the last couple of years was a Civil War theme book, and it oh, yeah. was uh, titled 1863. So it's kind of funny. It started out, yeah, I'm a big history buff. I love, um, I love the Civil War. I love American history, and this was like 2013, 2014. I was thinking, my wife had just got me a book, and I forgot exactly what the title was, but someone had taken all these historic, you know, Matthew Brady, black and white Civil War uh, you know, photography and portraiture, and they had colorized it. And it had all the colorized versions. She got it for me for Christmas or something. And I just remember being enamored by it and looking at it. And I've always been so fascinated by, by, by especially by the Civil War, but all that, those kind of historical things here in this country. And I thought, how cool would it be to create a piece of work in the, you know, w with the inspiration of Matthew Brady in that period? You know, I I've seen portraits that people have taken at reenactments and things like that, but I feel like I'd never seen an album. So what would it be like to create something that, you know, you had maybe gone to your grandparents' house and you went up to the attic and you moved a million boxes and at the bottom of this huge pile, there was a chest and you opened the chest and there was this old album that had just been there for years and years and years and you opened it up and you began to see these amazing portraits from the Civil War, you know, and no one knew it was there and it was like, how cool would it be to do something like that? So that's kind of how that idea was born. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, was, it was a ton of work. I mean, I always say, people always ask, how do you do these personal projects? You know, how do you get into it? What's your... You know, how do you start? Well, number one, you, you, you have to do some work, right? I think so many of us have these ideas, yet they tend to just reside in our minds, right? Because we don't take that step to say, okay, how do I make what's in my mind a reality? Mm -hmm. And personal projects are cool because we all get burned out, right? I mean, we all, whether you're doing weddings or portraits or whatever, you get to a certain point where you need to do something for yourself, you know, something that really ignites your soul and makes you so, you know, excited to be a photographer again, like when we all started or we had that passion and that desire. And sometimes that begins to wane. So Ted, I, first of all, I remember that album and I was, uh, I love the word gobsmacked. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And I'm a big, uh, people that listen regularly know I really value print competition as well. Um, my moment of You Suck <laughs> was I went to a West Coast school. I don't know if you've gone um, to some of those sure. week-long workshops. It, they mm -hmm. have them in Texas. And where's the one that you would go to that's closest to you? We have the Lamar School here in South Carolina. And that's a PPA. Oh, Lamar yeah. Williams. <laughs> The Lamar Williams School, yeah, which is in Columbia. Did you ever meet him, by the way? Uh, I did not. Nicest man in the world. He made the most beautiful backgrounds. And if you can snag one on eBay, uh, it's gold. I have two, and they're my treasures. And so he used to teach at West Coast School. Uh, the whole week was people painting backgrounds, which is fun. Anyway, I took my first West Coast School class thinking I was, you know, pretty great after three years. And it was very, very humbling. And that's when I made that decision, like you, to figure out how I can get to the levels that I was seeing with other people. So anyway, just wanted to say, been there, done that, survived it. <laughs> I, it's, it's crucial. I think it's yeah. a crucial point. I think if any photographer is honest with themselves, they get to that point. And I, I think it happens multiple times, right? Because we hit plateaus. Um, you know, everything's relative, right? And there's the person who started yesterday looks at the person who's been doing it for 30 years and they think, oh, that person, that person's amazing. They, they can never think they're not great. But the person at 30 years is like, why do I suck? <laughs> you know what oh, I'm saying? Like, when, I, when I look at your website, 
Ted. That's how I feel right now. Oh, so. geez. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and some, some of the newer photographers that I just think like, okay, you know, I should just quit, sell my cameras. But I know people look at my work and feel the same. So it's just, you know, we, we each are in our lane and can learn from each other. And I love that. So I know you have this grand idea. Uh, can you briefly tell us how does somebody take an idea like that and then turn it into something so satisfying? And I'm sure it, it grew you as a photographer, but um, yeah, can yeah. you share some details about that? Yeah, I think number one, you have to go out there and just make it a reality. I mean, that sounds so basic, but so many great ideas stay in our heads and never come out. So um, a lot of it is just simply either getting on the email, getting on the phone, calling the people that need to make it happen. In my case, it was reaching out to a bunch of reenactment groups, um, sending out a bunch of emails. I found several on Facebook, reached out to a few, heard back from a handful, and then actually became really good friends with one gentleman who basically provided the catalyst for, for this project. So he organized a bunch of his guys, one of the reenactment guys within the group owns a farm about 20 minutes from my house. So we set up a shoot there. I basically told him, Hey guys, if you give me half of half of a day to just, you know, dress up in your uniforms and let me direct you around. Um, I will donate uh, 200 bucks to your organization and I'll buy you guys lunch. And that's mm. me. I, I didn't want to do it for nothing. So, you know, which for me was a small price to pay. So they brought some horses, they brought like guns and all this cool stuff. So we photographed there. Then just so happened there was a reenactment happening in town, like about three weeks later here in Charleston. Nice. So I, I just went to that thinking I was going to be there for five minutes, not five minutes, maybe like the morning, an hour, hour and a half. I just brought, you know, a camera, a 70 to 200. I ended up being there for about four or five hours. And I basically anyone cool that I saw, I said, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Would you mind, you know, carving out a minute of your time and letting me photograph you. So it was a handful of sessions that came together that culminated, you know, in the final project. So it's a lot of just getting out there, making the calls, not just sitting down and thinking, wow, what if, you know, not, don't just say what if, but say, okay, what if I actually take the steps to make this a reality? What's going to be the final project? So right. um, in the end, it ended up awesome. Yeah, it was a great project. So how do you think entering from competitions and doing personal projects and some people like most of my merits to get my master's were my my either personal work but not like a project just yeah. you know my photography as i was out and about in the world um and i learned earlier that t i learned earlier that ted is a fisherman and ted my most awarded image is of a lake uh first thing in the morning in oregon and uh, th there's a little fog that starts to lift and it gets pastel and it was flat as glass and I'm not very good at throwing things but I threw rocks I first of all I got up before sunrise which is not something I normally do <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, there with you, you, yeah. you do yeah but you're a fisherman so occasionally well, when, when I fish when yeah. I fish that's about so I managed to get that. a shot where there was the per perfect ripple and it it went lone and it's people have purchased it and you know it's my most iconic personal image yeah. what i didn't know until i dated a fisherman was that's what you look for to see if there's fish yeah <laughs> that that ripple i probably got points from people in your area you know judges because uh it was it creates that excitement you know for me it just seemed like oh we need a ripple right there <laughs> I like it. I like it. Anyway, so, okay, so scoop, swirling back, rippling back to um, why you think entering print comp and doing personal work grows your business, grows your bottom line. Yeah. I think number one, it increases your skill level. I mean, bottom line, I, it may be a controversial statement, but I honestly think photographers that consistently compete are, are just better overall photographers. I mean, some people may have a problem with that, but I just feel it, every single foundational skill in photography, whether it's lighting, posing, composition, you name it, when you compete regularly, you are honing those skills. So you become a better, better image maker, which allows you to make more impactful images, images that resonate more with everybody, which in turn, I feel lets you demand more from your clients in terms of what you can sell, how you can sell it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think those two definitely go together. I mean, it's all about skill level. And also, you know, with the personal projects, you know, I kind of follow the same path maybe as you. I started doing a lot of personal projects kind of after I got my, my master's, but pretty much I got my degree really entering client wedding albums. That's kind of how I started entering comp. And I still do that occasionally. Um, so people sometimes ask like, is it better to enter like personal work or should you enter, you know, your client work? I, I say, I don't really care what you do. I think as long as you're entering images and you're doing it with the intent of, I'm doing this to better myself. Like the awards are great. I love, you know, getting recognized is awesome. It's a great accomplishment. 
accomplishment. But the, the reality of awards is honestly, nobody cares about them. <laughs> Aside maybe a few photographers. Like I told my mom, hey mom, I won the Grand Imaging Award. You know, all these photographers and oh, that's that's great. That's great. Good job. You know, like she didn't even know yeah. what it was. I mean, and the average client doesn't know. So if you're doing it for yourself to say, hey, this is me this year. What am I going to do next year? For me, it gives me a challenge every single year. That makes me a better photographer. It makes me more confident. My personal work, I share it um, a lot of times with clients. So if I have someone coming over for a consult, um, I can't tell you how many times I'll take out the Civil War book just to just to ignite a conversation and also to show them, hey, I may be photographing your wedding, but let me show you the depth of what I can do as an image maker. It's not mm -hmm. just that I can just do this, but I can also create this and create that and all these different things. So I think, again, that that lifts you up in the eyes of a client. Right. I t totally agree. <laughs> and I have to say, um, one of the first professionals I met in San Diego and became friends with, and he photographed my first wedding, um, he had a ribbon. Um, he had an image that he used a lot that was a woman on a horse, and it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And he had a ribbon from the local PPA print competition. And in my mind, that made him a, an amazing award-winning photographer. Now, th that might have been the only ribbon he ever won. Um, I never saw any others as I began to uh, be involved in the local chapter. Um, I started then seeing people who had much, you know, much more um, impressive, basically award resume, if mm -hmm. you will. But I remember that image and I remember that ribbon and I remember being impressed. And then also I wanted to do that too. And so mm -hmm. in my studio, um, when I have an image that gets with even even early on when it's in San Diego, we do um, I think it's a red ribbon, not the blue ribbon. So if you get a score from 78 to 79, I'm not sure if we still do it, but you used to get a local um, merit to build for some other things. And I would I put anything I got, I would put it right next to the photograph. And um, yeah, so it doesn't, it's not like, oh, Matt, I've won these things now, work is easy because sure. you and I both know people who are like stinking rich that couldn't win a merit if their yeah. life depended on it. Absolutely. But, but they're doing very sellable good work and mm -hmm. their their business practices are excellent. And I'm sure you know people who are absolutely broke that are like some of the best photographers you've ever known. So it isn't it isn't magic, but there's definitely a balance you have to have. And that's when I tell people, you know, anytime you talk about image competition, again, it tends to bring out the sides, you know, and you have this, it's almost like a political argument these days, right? We mm -hmm. talk about image competition, but I say, you got to just, I try to be realistic, right? I think as a general rule, I think if you compete, I think you're, you're going to be more honed in on your skills. But of course, does that mean that like PPA image competition is the end all be all? No, of course no. not. Cause like you said, there are people that, that don't compete that are, have a fabulous businesses. There are people that are incredible photographers that we've never heard of. So you have to be, I try not to be on either end of the spectrum because there's right. certain people that say, you know, this is the end all be all. And if you don't do it, you know, you're horrible. And so be, be realistic. But hey, if it's something that's available, I always say if there's something easily available to me that if I do regularly is going to make me a better, just a better photographer, why not do it? Right. You know, why would you pass that up? So right. that, that's what it is for me. And I think I never thought of this before, but one of the challenges as our artist photographers is separating uh, that like, I've created something. Do you love it? Will you give me money for it? No? Okay, I'm devastated. I'm a loser. I'm a, yeah. I keep forgetting the word, but I, you know, I'm a fraud. Sure. You know what I'm talking about. That, oh yeah, yeah. So I think also entering in competitions and I do local, we have a nice county fair that has a very prestigious um, photography exhibit that is not easy to um, get in and especially to win any prize money. But mm -hmm. as we put our work in, other, in front of other people, whether they're right or wrong, I think we learn to separate ourselves from the work a bit. We, yep. we get a little, like a little crust around in a good way around the, um, I don't know, you know what I'm saying is, is we need, we need a little thicker skin as photographers if we're going to be successful selling our work where we see it more as a product. I think that bringing your work up and getting critiqued and having something you love just be destroyed. <laughs> 
is actually well, sure. good for it. And, and, and nobody likes that, right? I mean, that's, you know, I always tell people, you know, when I've done a number of like image competition classes, that's the number one thing I cover. I say, you know, if you're going to do this, if you're going to go down this road, you have to be able to take your image being torn apart. Like that's not a bad thing, you know, because if, if you think that there's no such a thing as a perfect image, you know, I don't care who you are. I don't care if it scores a hundred. I, I, I've scored, I have several hundreds. I can bring them out and I can tear apart my own image. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I mean, this idea that there's perfection is just, yeah, you know, pretend perfection, but there's no such thing as perfection. No. You know? So you have to be able to, to take that because that's going to make you better. I mean, I mean, honestly, think of how ridiculous it is to say, oh, I want to get better, but I don't want anyone to ever tell me how I can get better. That's basically right. what you're saying when, you know, right. when you're really closing yourself off on that. And I want to sell my work, but I'm so emotionally invested in it that if someone doesn't love it, I, you know, I'm going to uh, sit on the couch and quarts of ice cream for for months you know being able to be somewhat detached I think has value so one of the things when we first connected and I saw your work and I saw your wonders of Santa yeah work wonder of Santa work and program that's what I really wanted to share and I've loved this conversation that um, it's always so surprising what what uh, we get to talk about when I especially somebody that I haven't met before you know what you're as I like to call it, your zone of genius and what you're passionate about sharing. And I know you've got this amazing thing you've been doing with Santa's. Can you share about, first of all, what is it? And then I'll ask you some other questions about that. Sure. So, you know, it's funny if you told me six years ago that you'd be shooting any kind of Santa thing, I probably would have laughed at you (laughs) because, you know, we've always done these weddings and I've always been more so inspired by the fashion end of weddings and beautiful lighting and striking composition, these dramatic images. So Santa, um, you know, I I like to give credit where credit is due. You know, years ago, the first photographer that I saw um, that did Santa that now I've become kind of good friends with is uh, Chris Smith in um, down in. I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Middle Lithian, Texas. I think okay. he'll kill me. But Chris did Santa and I saw it in one of the groups and he's like, man, we're, we're killing it. And I saw the numbers he was doing and he was creating this beautiful work. And I thought, man, that's, I've never thought of doing something like that. Cause I always thought of Santa as being yeah. like, you know, go to the mall, crappy lit on the, you know, on the lap kind of photo. That's all I ever thought of mm-hmm. Santa. But I began to see these, wow, this, we can create Santa and almost make it look like a Norman Rockwell inspired art piece, you know, where you have beautiful composition and lighting and, and, you know, maybe a beautiful painterly look. And so Chris was the first one I saw and, and um, I saw many others, uh, Larry Hersberger, you may probably know Larry, you know, Larry has been doing Santa for years and years and years. So these guys really inspired me. Hey, why don't I jump in and, and give, give a crack at this? So we created mm. the wonder of Santa, which is basically a, a really beautiful experience for the kids to spend an hour in Santa's real set and mm. activities with him. And we create beautiful storybooks and I, I digitally paint really gorgeous images from that. And we sell um, wall art, storybooks and, and gift items and things like that. But it's been a huge, huge, huge thing for our studio the last few years. So can you uh, paint us a picture uh, visually about what's different than you like you did somewhat but can you like describe even more in detail what's different than let's put some lollipops some candy canes and and a throne (laughs) and the kid and crying in santa's lap you know sure so Mm -hmm. again if you think of you know think of your quintessential norman rockwell santa depiction um or the other one i'm forgetting the name Gosh, there's a festival here in South Carolina of Vern, Vern something, I forgot, but he's also another clock from the 50s and 60s. He depicted Santa in these very classic Americana illustrations and things like that. So that's kind of the inspiration. So yeah, rather than, you know, do this kind of Santa on the lap and all this, we thought, what if we actually created uh, a backdrop or what if we actually created something that looks like Santa's um, house or Santa's workshop? And it was a full set with beautiful antique toys and, um, basically it looked like it came out of a Rockwell painting Mm. and rather than the kids just coming in for you know for a few minutes or 10 minutes or sitting on his lap they actually get to spend again almost close to an hour like you know I can I can imagine if I was five and my mom said hey you're actually gonna go to Santa's workshop and you're gonna have milk and cookies with him and he's gonna paint with you and you're gonna look at the nice book and you're going to uh, 
uh, you know, he's going to bring his globe out. He's going to show you how he goes around. Like, how cool. I'm trying to imagine myself as a five-year-old. Wow. Man, I would, like, freak out. So that's basically what we do is they get to do all these activities. The kids aren't even thinking about the camera. You know, there's not one image that we create where, where we say, hey, look at the camera, Santa. Look at the, look at the camera, kiddos. We don't do any of that. Like, the camera is almost an aside. They are doing all these activities. And, of course, we're directing it. We're directing Santa. This is a real bearded Santa. Um, I've had three custom suits made. I mean, everything is dialed in. So, you know, the end result is absolutely amazing. So the kids get to spend this whole hour. The experience is amazing. But what happens is mom and dad get to come back and we get to do a sales presentation to show them all these amazing uh, images that we create. Again, that I go through, I actually, um, I do some digital painting on these images. Um, so they start as a photograph, but I always say photography is just a very minor part of the end process. It's just a means to an end because the end result is very, very more so art focused. So the experience is amazing, yes, but you know, when I talk to prospective clients, I say the experience is great, but it's more about getting this artwork that you are literally going to have for the rest of your lives. Mm. And we'll, you know, we know we say in photography, right? This is one of these things that as each generation comes and as each year passes, it's going to become more valuable. And it truly is because kids, you know, how, how many years do kids have to really kind of have that wonder of Santa where they believe it's only a, a smattering of years, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and then we become adults and all the fun ends, right? right. So, what if we Your can afford Your parents would lie to you. Guess what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we should do it. It's too late now. <laughs> we should have done a little, uh, a little warning, uh, don't listen to this in the car with your kids. Oh, yeah. Well, Santa's real, of course, of course. Santa's yeah. real. He, yes. he lives here in South Carolina <laughs> and other places. But I would say, imagine immortalizing that stage of their lives, right? I mean, they're only five or six for, for, for a very short time. So what if you had an amazing 30 or 40 inch beautifully painted image in a gorgeous six inch thick frame on your wall? I mean, imagine that in 20 or 30 years, right? So it costs a lot now, but imagine how much it's going to be worth. Imagine mm. that storybook. You know, when I sell the storybook, we say, you know, imagine, imagine this year getting that book and sitting by the Christmas tree and reading that story that has your children in the book. And it's, there's a storyline that goes along with it. Their names are in it. It's awesome now. But imagine when little Johnny is 30 years old or 40 years old and he has his kids and he can show them that book and they can still read it and they can see daddy when he was that small. You know, that's where the power is. Wow. You know, that's where it becomes a legacy product and that's where it becomes way more than just this is just a visit to Santa. We're actually creating a family legacy. Wow. And so you said they buy wall portraits and books. Do they keep the wall portraits prominent places in their homes all year round? Some absolutely do, you know, and when, when we sell them, you know, there's, there's a few different kinds of clients. I won't kind of break it down, but we all know any business that you have, you know, you have different sets of clients. There's what we call the Christmas queen and the Christmas queen is, is the mom that is Christmas obsessed, mm. um, loves Christmas. These clients absolutely will leave them all uh, up all year because, um, you know, one of the things, you know, again, Larry, Larry Hersberg, kind of one of my mentors in this, one of the things I love that, that he kind of brought to my attention when I was kind of working under him and studying under him is he said, Sam, Santa goes beyond Christmas. It's really more of an Americana thing. And, and right. I 100% agree with that. So sure, it's Christmas, but Santa is, it's like kind of like Superman, right? Santa supersedes the holidays. He's hes about as Americana as you can get. That old that old Coca-Cola Santa, like you look right. at those images and you know you think America, America, right? With that kind of thing. So right. it's kind of part of the culture. That's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. So how do you... Um... So first I want to back up and say like, wow, awesome, amazing, brilliant. I love how you um, were inspired by others in this. And then also it sounds like you've personalized it to create this experience. And um, so how do you market this? How do you get the word out? How many sessions do you do? Like, Sure. So Let's have some details. It's it's kind of a funny story. So um, I'll make it brief, but we talk about failure, right? And people freak out about failure. Like we, no one wants to fail, right? But the bottom line is the very first year I did this, um, I, I was going to do a totally different model. So now we're, we're selling wall art, we're doing storybooks. But my very first year, I thought, you know what? Let me do Santa. Let me do a cool experience. But what if we just do a couple weekends and we do a shoot and burn? And long story short, a couple people convinced me that's the way to do it. You all this money and I thought, okay, <laughs> let me, yeah, it's pretty stupid because at the time, I mean, you know, we were, we were really established. I just thought Santa, eh, a couple weekends, let's make a bunch of money. Well, it didn't turn out to be that way. It was a ton of work. And honestly, by the time we got to the end, I mean, we barely made 
anything. And I did all this work and I said, okay, slow down. Let me stop here. What went wrong? I mean, it was a failure. It was an abject failure, but it, I could have just said, screw it. Right. <laughs> I could have yeah. just moved on. That doesn't said, work. Yeah. But I, I said, what, what did we do wrong? Right. You know, right. so I just examined the idea that, okay, no, Santa is, is great. The experience is great, but shoot and burn is not the way to go. The way to go is maybe to amp up the experience, create an even better experience, an amazing set, really try to create the same kind of art that I try to do with weddings, right? Where you're creating really dramatic, very art inspired images. Do that with Santa, make everything perfect and make a product that will last for generations. So we simply regroup. Um, mm. I got with some of my mentors, you know, I took, some, I did some education on the topic, try to, you know, get in touch with some photographers that had been doing it with some success. And we regrouped. Um, that was the first year was 2017. 2018 was our kind of our regroup year. And we did, I think about $82,000 in sales um, that second year. So literally I went from uh, the first year, I think uh, this is embarrassing to say, but I think we made less than $1,200 the first year mm -hmm. that we did it. We did a weekend, um, one full weekend. By the time all my calls, I mean, it's embarrassing. Second year, 80,000. Last year, I think we did about 148,000 in sales. Mm -hmm. And this year, my goal is to go over 200 and get close to close to a quarter million. That's my goal. Wow. I'm to hit 200 this year. So um, here's, here's what I love. Here's what I love, Ted. So many people, you, you give them an idea. Um, I'm on Facebook groups. I love to support other people. And I'll say, hey, try this. And they'll put, tried it. It didn't work. And that's where it landed. Yeah. And that the person, so there's a book called Grit, mm -hmm. something like that. My dad calls it stick-to-itiveness, yeah. where you have that personality that's like, okay, there was a good idea in there somewhere. Yeah. It was executed in a way that was not a good idea. Mm -hmm. So how can I make this like way better and, um, and more successful instead of just giving up on it? You upgraded and now, you know, it's something that many people would only hope to ever make in a whole year, what you make in one Santa season. So, um, Grit is a great word, and it's it's tough because if you if you people that know me well, I'm very much a pessimist by nature. Um, really, Rachel, Rachel, <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, oh, yeah. Um, Rachel is probably the opposite. She's you know everything's great. It's gonna work out. It's gonna be all good. I'm more like when something happens, I'm kind of like, dude, this sucks, and it's gonna keep sucking. Like, but I. I have, for me, it's hard because I have to go past that. And I have to, you know, talk about image competition, like being able to be analyzed and be, be critiqued. Well, in this situation, sometimes you have to critique yourself, right? And be honest with like, here, like you said, here's the situation, here's what went wrong, but not to just totally get in this pit of despair and doom and say, throw it all away. But you have to like cool down and say, what can I do better? You know, and that's tough. That's really tough for me because that, that, you're in a vulnerable state when you do that. Because you said, hey, I did something I did something wrong. That's true. I did something wrong. I messed something up. But is there a way to fix that? There usually is. But a lot of people don't get to that stage because they like to, you know, stay in that pit of despair and woe is me and all that kind right. of thing. Right. Have excuses why things don't work sure. so they can sure. uh, just sure. go back to that, sure. that stuck place. And I imagine maybe Rachel is more like this. When you said she's positive, I had the vision of the, the Lego movie. Yeah. Everything is awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes. But even in our successes to say, what can I do better? When, absolutely. When I did weddings, um, you don't know this, but I did weddings for 12 years. And mm -hmm. um, I had uh, an assistant for many of those. She probably was with me for at least half of the maybe 500 weddings I did back then. And on the way home, we would talk about what worked and what we could do better. And we just became this efficient machine together and we worked out some of the bugs like I'm sure you you know mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. that one of the main reasons people are late is the hair and makeup. Oh yeah. So I started giving um, giving out a schedule and I would have them give a different one for the hair and makeup person that added an hour mm. so that they <laughs> thought they needed to be done at this time because they almost always were done half an hour to an hour late. And that made the whole day, you know, chaos. So I love always asking with anything we do, what can we do better? And, you know, I'm sure with, with your work and your photography, you, because of the quality of what you do, you have to be someone that is always asking themselves, even in their success, how you can do better. Would you agree with that? 
I am. And if you, you know, again, if you've gotten a room with Rachel and you asked her about that, she'd say almost, I do that to a fault. I mean, to the point where you know, I say this all the time when I teach, I say, if you're, if you're at a point where you look at every single image you create and you're thinking, wow, that's, that's pretty great. I'm, oh, that's awesome. I'm doing really good. Like I get scared of being in that kind of situation because when you get in that mindset, you, I feel like you're getting lazy because there's always something there's always something you can pick apart. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we still, you know, I've been doing weddings for 15 years. It's like almost 80% of the time when I get home from a wedding, I'm not saying I'm doing a bad job, but usually I get home and I'm like, man, I wish I could have done that. I wish I could have done this. I mean, we're creating great stuff, but it's like, there's always this desire to like, how do I get past that next plateau? How do I, you know, do this a bit different and then master this? And I'm always super self-critical and it gets, you know, I try not to, do, you know, I try to balance it a little bit, but I feel like yeah. you have to be that way. Yeah. If, if you want to continue to pursue excellence, because right. um, perfection is impossible, but the pursuit of perfection is going to make you pretty damn good in the end. Right. I, I'm a self-admitted uh, recovering perfectionist. <laughs> and when I, when I got to the point where it was like, okay, my goal is excellence. So I love that you brought up that word. Um, I also, um, I sometimes can expect a perfection from others, which there is no such thing. Mm -hmm. And I developed from reading just a, a little page in a book about how to have a good life where it said that we don't have to get A's. Like life is not school where you're trying to get A's. Mm -hmm. A 20% mistake rate is still a B in school. And mm -hmm. so I started to allow myself and others, my photo lab, my, I don't know, hairdresser, uh, whatever places where, okay, let's, I'm going to start that again. So I started giving myself and others that grace of a 20% mistake ratio. So like if my photo lab makes a mistake or two or maybe three in a row, instead of like, oh, they're terrible, I think, okay, does this fall in the 20% or is it consistently more than that? Mm -hmm. And uh, and same with me. And <laughs> and I, I do tell myself when I'm being hard on myself so I can pass this on to you maybe, is we're not being graded on this. It's yep. not going in our permanent record like they told us in school. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so back to how do you get your clients for this? I mean, now yeah, so I'm sure people are are word of mouth beyond probably any other kind of thing I could imagine. But I think it's a lot of trial and error. You know, a lot of what we do is social media advertising, and I, I wish I wish I can say I'm great at that. I'm really not. I mean, it's it's trying different things like Facebook ads and using different images and changing the verbiage and and really getting to a point where you get to something that resonates and and essentially gets people to contact you. Um, you know, all these sessions, since they are, you know, more of a custom nature and since there is a, you know, a higher buy-in point and all that, um, we want to do a phone consult with everyone. So, you know, I'm not just looking for, and just, we're all searching for this, right? We're looking mm -hmm. for the qualified clients. That's really important. So, um, you know, we do a phone consult with everybody, but most of those people either are coming through social media ads. I also believe a lot in um, getting your brand recognized where you're at. So even, even things that maybe won't generate a ton of leads, um, we try to do uh, multiple like television morning shows every single season. Mm. My goal is that when people, and, and like we did one last year, it, it brought in a handful of clients. It wasn't incredibly expensive, but what I like is, you know, last year we did a Christmas show as well. You know, this year, of course, COVID has wreaked havoc as we all know, but um, we did, there's a big Christmas market that comes to Charleston and we uh -huh. had a booth. I mean, 500 bucks for three days, right? We had beautiful <laughs> portraits with lights and, you know, I had all the literature. Actually, it was great. We booked eight or nine people. But what, what I'm getting at, what I loved is how many people stopped at the booth. And, and granted, this is mid-November would say, man, you know what? I've seen this everywhere. Like I saw you guys on the TV thing and I, I saw you on Facebook. And so that is my goal is that every single year, it's important to do things where if someone in this city thinks about, man, beautiful Santa, I want them to think wonder of Santa. Okay. And maybe they're not ready to book this year. I can't tell you how many people this year alone have said, I've been following you guys for, for two years and my kid was really little, but now they're right there and now I'm ready to book. So it's important to just get the name out there too. get recognition. You know, if it's Santa for me, I mean, if it's weddings or newborns for you, I mean, it's important that people, when they think of a newborn photographer, they think I need to go to this person because I've seen them here, here, and here. Mm -hmm. so getting that brand recognition in your, you know, in your general vicinity, general marketing area, wherever you're at, um, that, that's, that's really important to me. So when do you start doing these? 
Yeah, so generally end of September, and we go, like last year, I had four sessions in January, like the last session was January 13th. I actually had a session in March of this year. Um, I had a f one, one that was supposed to come in in May, but COVID kind of messed it up, so she's coming later in the year. Um, generally, the busiest time, though, is going to be October through December, and it's mm -hmm. the thing that I love about this year is, you know, talking about growth, and, you know, this is my third year kind of into this, and last year, we did about 56 total sessions, yet most of them, I think we had one in October, and November and December were really busy. We had those handful in January. This year, we're booking up October like crazy, so it's like sure. my goal you know, each year as we move forward is how can we front load the calendar, right? How do I get yeah. more people to come in end of September, October? Because November is fairly easy to sell, right? I mean, people get sure. into Christmas and all that, but um, so how do we punch that there? So yeah, 56 sessions last year. We did a Christmas in July event. This year was awesome because Saturday was on the 25th. So um, it really kind of had that Christmas feel. You had the 25th of July. It was a Saturday. It was perfect. Um, and that was great. You know, we did five sessions. It was a $13,000 sales day from five sessions. So um, it's, it's incredible, you know, so it's, it's been great. I mean, yeah. Um, so what do you, and thank you for laying out like specifics. Um, that's one of the things that my listeners have said they appreciate <clears throat> from my guests is, uh, you know, some of those like fleshing out some of the details. So one question I have is what you promise that people can have in time for Christmas. So what I'm imagining is that the, the experience of it is one of the things that you focus on more than, hey, we can get a bunch of Christmas cards and, and things like that ready. Like, sure. and do you know what I'm talking about? Is like, we don't want to over promise and under deliver. Sure, sure. So, you know, so we're talking about one of the things that like I'm continually working on refining now up until this year, I've basically done like all the editing myself. I mean, pretty much everything like Rachel does a lot of our editing for weddings and things like that, but all the standard artwork I basically done. So um, it's been tough. Like last year, almost everybody got things before Christmas just because I just killed it, you know, mm -hmm. um, full of people that when we got close, you know, I'm more or less, we set up a date, like last year it was uh, December 2nd, I think. And we said, Hey, as long as your viewing is before December 2nd, um, you know, we will, we'll guarantee to get your work in time. If it's after we're going to try really hard, but we can't guarantee it so far in two years, I really haven't had too much of an issue. Um, and people are, are fairly reasonable. That's why I try to push the sessions really early. That's a big selling point. So like, mm -hmm. like I mentioned here, you know, we're trying to hit that even more, we're getting more, you know, with COVID, a lot of people are like, what's going to happen with COVID? And I had those questions and concerns too, you know? Um, honestly, I think this year might be our best year yet. I mean, if, if things are panning out from what I've seen so far. Mm -hmm. um, so just as an aside for people wondering like what's happening in photography. I mean, we are probably going to have our busiest holiday season ever um, in three years. Um, but this year I'm bringing more people to do some work. So I'm actually hiring um, and training some people that are going to do artwork um, kind of under my direction. Yeah. Um, just to be able to increase those turnaround times. But generally it takes us anywhere from two to three weeks to like, you know, while portraits are easy or you're one large image. The cool thing is we're never selling, you know, if you're in person selling, we're not showing 3000 images. They're seeing, you know, 12 to 15 yeah. uh, finished images. A book will contain maybe nine images you know, wall oh. art will be an image. So, you know, at most you're maybe doing artwork for a dozen images, which, you know, which isn't the end of the world. I, I don't, do all the artwork when they come to view images we only prepare a handful of like fully finished images mm -hmm. and then everything else they're looking at is just is just kind of a proof out of camera so it gives them an idea of of what the final piece will be but um that's a tough balance right that's the toughest right. balance not to overwork yourself not to promise the world and not be able to deliver and um sometimes that results in failure right but you try to just right. refine the process and for right. me it's going to be hiring some people to help with that yeah so something that i say um especially when there's time crunches. I, I always give, um, because I'm doing three to seven wall portraits per client. And often there's also a book with 30 images or so. So that, mm -hmm. that's a lot of production. That's, I, I run uh, color tests from my lab. So mm -hmm. my, I'm not fast. And I tell them eight to 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I say, you know, if I promise sooner, sure enough, yours is going to be the one that there's like lost in the mail. And then I edited wrong. And then the next one, yeah. you know, so mm -hmm. I, I will try like, let's say I have a sale 
uh, over Thanksgiving and they want all the portraits in time for Christmas and there's many wall portraits. Mm -hmm. I won't promise that. Mm -hmm. I'll say I'll try. I will promise the gifts if they wanted uh, some gifts for family members or of course holiday cards. Um, you know, then I use the faster labs for that. Um, mm -hmm. So that under, oh, under promise, over deliver, over promise. No, yes, it's under promise and over deliver. Mm -hmm. um, but it's trickier when it's a holiday thing where of course I'd want the wall portrait there for Christmas day. Sure. It, you know, so, um, but how it we, sounds like you've got a system. How we, yeah. we kind of get around that a little bit or maybe not get around it, but a, a big part of, you know, educating the client is we say, it'd be great. Sure. Like we're going to try to get it this year and you should want to have it this year. I understand that. But we try to put people in the mindset of this is something that if you're simply doing this just for this year, you're probably not the right client. Mm. Meaning that this is something that sure you're going to have this year, but it's going to be up every year, every single year. It's not just going to give you joy this Christmas. And I understand that you'd want it, but it's important to realize that with your investment, it's something that even if your Christmas decor changes each year, which, you know, most people, they change it up, change the colors, all that kind of thing. This beautiful 30 or 40 inch frame print will be, a, will be a constant on the mantle as the centerpiece. So not just this year, not just next year, but in 10 years, yeah. think of that gorgeous part. So, you know, you try to put people in the mind frame of this is a long-term investment. It's not just for the now, even though the now is cool and great, but it's for the 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road right. when it's still going to be there. Cause you know, I mean, you all know when people spend two, three, $4,000 on one frame piece, um, it is going to stay around. It's right. going to be a right. constant. So this same um, conversation that you have with them about the Santa portraits can definitely be used for anything. Um, Absolutely. I love how you put that. And I can see also, and I imagine you do say this is right now, the, one of the key values of this is the experience for your children. Mm -hmm. And that's going to enhance this year's Christmas for them. Mm -hmm. um, and next year and five years from now and 20 years from now, mm -hmm. and when you bring these back out, it's going to connect to them to today. So even if you don't have anything in time for Christmas, like the January one that you did, you're giving them that experience. And then, you know, part two is, is the product that lasts forever. Does that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's so crucial that you tie both of those together. Cause again, if you, um, especially with this kind of portrait genre, if you simply push the experience and it's experience, 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 that's all it is, you know, great set kids get to play. If that's all you talk about, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to come for the experience. They think mm -hmm. it's like, Hey, it's a cool thing. Let's pack up the kids. Let's go do it. And let's go home. And, and that's it. You know, that's what they've been conditioned to expect it is. So that's why it's so crucial that you balance that, that yes, the experience is great. That draws in a lot of people, but man, I am careful to also emphasize that, you know, that's only one part, but really what this is about is to create this amazing artwork that's going to last for a while. It's going to be, right. an event, but it's going to be something that, that will really make a lasting impact on your legacy and the legacy of your family. Right. Now, do you do something for people that are of a different faith or of no faith to celebrate holiday? If I was like, for, for, for Santa, I usually say Santa, like, I'll give you an example. We had a, a, several Jewish families that came in, you know, last year that I don't, I don't know the inner workings of exactly what they celebrate in terms of how much Christmas stuff they do. But I'll tell you what, they came in and had just a great time as anybody. I feel Santa, I feel Santa kind of transcends a lot of that, you know, yeah. now there are things that we can offer. Like, you know, there's a part where Santa will read, will read a story and we can either offer, you know, Santa can read the night before Christmas or Santa can read um, the Christmas story from the Bible. You know, that's an option we give to parents and, uh -huh. and some do, some do it, some don't. Of course, you know, we're in South Carolina. Um, you, you have more of that kind of uh, Bible belt mentality here. Yeah, so, you know, that's, that's a reason. A lot of that here. <laughs> but, 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 you know, we, we do both, you know, but I think yeah. overall Santa transcends a lot of that, you know? Yeah, um, I agree because <laughs> Santa is not in any Bible. <laughs> no, he's not. No, absolutely not. So. And when I had, cause, and we got to wrap up soon, but I really just sure. love <laughs> chatting with you, Ted. I hope uh, not this year, but next year, uh, we're both at PPA convention and we can Absolutely. hang out together. Yeah, um, let's sure. see. So I was the youngest in my family. And so I never believed in Santa. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was a pastor. So Christmas was, of course, focused on on the story sure. of why Christmas. So I always saw Santa as a fun part of our experience. And then one day I realized, oh my gosh, Santa is love. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's universal. Santa is, I, now I don't like the naughty and nice part of watching me. I don't like Elf on a Shelf for the same reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it being used to control kids. <laughs> my own personal opinion but but the the generous nature and the love of of all um yeah who doesn't love that so hey this has been so great i want to ask you how people can kind of get in your world and if some associations wanted to have you um do a program virtually right now or book you for later um how do people get in touch with you Sure. So for any photographers or anybody that just wants to get some more in-depth education, I share a ton of stuff on my free educational group on Facebook. The title of that group is called From Commodity to Craft. And um, basically the, the basis for that is to turn this thing that for so many people, photography has become this commodity, right? And, and it's been dumbed down and all that kind of thing. So my goal with that group is to really elevate it back to the, to the, to the level of craft that it rightfully is. So we talk a lot about, you know, fundamental issues, lighting, posing, composition, those core things when it comes to image making, and also a lot of business discussions as well. So um, you can find that group on Facebook, just request to join. It is a private group, but um, that is the best place to kind of get in contact with me. And, and of course, yeah, if anyone's looking for a speaker virtually or in person, person at some point, um, you can actually reach me through that page um, as well or through Facebook. Um, That's probably the easiest way. Send me a message and I will get in touch with you. Cool. 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 So one last question, um, but I have to remind my listeners, I'm going to be doing my little uh, wrap up after, after Ted wanders off into the rest of his day. Um, If there's one thing that you would feel like, oh man, I wish I had had a chance to share this or uh, just like, what's your last word here? Sure. So let me, let me make it about current, current events in terms of COVID and how it's affected the industry, because we've been talking about Santa and that's a cool discussion. But the thing for me with Santa is that five or six years ago, the bulk of what we were doing was weddings. And, and th- there was nothing wrong with that. I mean, I know people that just shoot weddings and it's all good. But, you know, if two years ago someone would have said, hey, you know what, there's going to be something that's going to happen that's going to cancel all your weddings the entire year, you would have laughed <laughs> at them, right? No one would believe that. I, I wouldn't believe it. I'd say, yeah, right, no way. Maybe, maybe a couple, maybe an earthquake or something. And maybe that would be a problem for a while, but, or a hurricane. But I would have never thought that. So it's funny before all this stuff happened, you know, Santa... Yeah, I'm a person of faith. I believe things happen for a reason and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I feel the Santa thing was great because it allowed us to develop this completely different genre in addition to the other genres that we do. I know we didn't talk a lot about the other things, but we do a good amount of weddings. We do a good amount of family portraits, but, you know, Santa was just this new thing. And it's, it's, it turned out great in the sense that, of course, COVID is horrible, but here we are this year where I've had nearly 15 to 16 weddings cancel um, yet we're in a great position moving forward because we have this really profitable session base that's going to be happening in the last quarter. Um, and it's great to know that. So I guess my final word is it's, there's nothing wrong with doing one genre, but I think um, this is teaching a lot of people that it's okay to maybe diversify a little bit and don't put all your eggs in one basket and maybe, maybe don't be everything to everybody, you know, don't specialize mm-hmm. in 25 different things, right. but, <laughs> but maybe if you do newborns, maybe also really build out a headshot portfolio, or if you do weddings, maybe really focus on developing a great family clientele and don't make everything all about one thing. Cause this year is an amazing example how, man, that could be a horrible thing, you know? So right. I call it diversify to dominate. Um, that's, a, that's a new class I've been kind of working on whenever organizations finally start doing stuff. But um, diversifying a little bit can really help you build a business that can stand tough through these really horrible times that we're dealing with. Right. If I could do my early career over again, I would have, because I, I believe that you can grow faster when you pick a lane and put mm-hmm. maximum energy there and become known for that, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean you can't have little side, <laughs> you know, for picking mm-hmm. a lane, little side trips. Um, some of my mentors, when they did weddings, 
they were also doing portraits, um, even though they were known as wedding photographers. And one of the local teachers suggested that when you deliver the album, you give them three gift certificates. Mm-hmm. One is for uh, their first baby, one is for their anniversary, and one is a family extended family session, multi-generation family session. And that establishes that you don't just want to be their wedding photographer, you want to be their family photographer. And I didn't do that. And then at a certain point when I was making the turn to children, I was like, oh my gosh, I have all these people that I loved working with them. They loved me. We were happy. They spent a lot of money, but they're having other people do their babies and family Mm -hmm. and like big head slap moment <laughs> for that <laughs> and i'm thinking with you if if and when uh weddings come back again uh i would certainly deliver some kind of certificate for a, a santa opportunity for their yeah, first for something love it. um I love it. yeah so well this has been such a treat and um i i love like well you have so much energy and that's inspiring uh, just talking to you and, you know, I can imagine your, your mind is always busy thinking stuff. <laughs> I, I'd like to thank three cans of, uh, of Coke a day for that. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, everybody stay tuned for my wrap up, as I mentioned. And again, thank you so, so much, Ted, for being on my show and, I look forward to being in your commodity to craft group and, you know, much more. Appreciate it. It was great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. So when I was telling Ted goodbye uh, offline, I realized that one of the things I absolutely love about doing this show is that I'm a lifelong learner. I just love new stuff. And so to get to have an hour where I can dig deep with somebody that is doing some great things in our industry is smart and fun and a, you know, natural teacher. Um, it's just such, such a gift for me. And the fact that you all listen and get benefit from it is, is the super bonus. And honestly, that was my original passion was to be able to share, but um, I'm just so grateful to the guests that have been on the show. Um, for the information and how they've grown me as well as um, my listeners. So I hope you feel the same and got a lot out of today. Um, Just a reminder that I'm going to start doing a segment um, where I'm doing one-on-one coaching. I'm not sure if I'm going to have two guests or one um, per episode. We're actually doing some live coaching, giving some good tips and ideas that hopefully the listeners will get value from as well. So if you're interested in applying for that, send me an email, lucy at lucydumas.com. That's Lucy with an I. And uh, some information about you and a possible topic or issue you'd like to discuss. So I really look forward to hearing from you about that or about anything. You can contact me from lucydumascoaching.com. Um, There's some goodies there. So um, yeah, that's what's on my mind right now, or that's my shameless plug for something. (laughs) So a couple of things we talked about. We talked about print competition and how it can be an important part of our growth, both creatively, technically, as a business, as an artist. Um, And he talked about his project It was a beautiful book he did on uh, the Civil War as if it was something that was made after the Civil War and discovered. And I remember seeing that beautiful album and just being wowed by it. Um, So I think if we had listed reasons, there's probably five great reasons to start doing personal projects and then entering in local, state, national print competitions even if there's camera clubs and they have competitions, anywhere that you can put your work in front of people um, whose opinions you respect, get some guidance, um, develop a little thicker skin uh, with the critique so that um, you can separate your, your art from your product a bit. Um, I think that helps with that. 
And then he shared all about his, um, his Santa, what's he call it? The Wonder of Santa program. And that he sets up a full set with toys and vintage props. And the kids get to hang out with Santa for an hour while he photographs. And then he sells uh, albums and wall portraits. And I'm sure there's other gift ideas and different things. And it has been something that has potentially given them. Um, so it is something that he's really happy he created before COVID. Because as a wedding photographer, if that's you, you know that um, you're having to scramble. Well, he has set up some diversity so that he doesn't have to scramble uh, because he's got more than one ball in the air, basically. Um, so I also love that he always asks, what can I do better with anything that he does? And we learn some of the ways that he markets the Santa pictures, he creates visibility, he gets on morning shows, uh, he did Christmas expos, um, so there's brand recognition, but then he also does a lot of social media marketing. Um, I liked the Christmas in July idea. That's a great way to get a jump on the Santa season. So that's it for now. Stay in touch. Picture me giving you a really great big hug because Man, I miss those hugs. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.